Welcome to Diverse City Church Sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's message by Pastor Ray. But I do want to just jump right in. We are in, believe it or not, week 12 of our series. Week 12. Week 12. We are doing a thorough investigation. We are looking with great detail into the 12 apostles of Jesus. As I told you every week, and I'll go ahead and start off again. We, we started off in week one with Andrew, and then from, or excuse me, week one we did an overview of diversity and how all their personalities and vocations were different, but it was very strategic in what Jesus was doing when he built his team. We said that Jesus did not put around him a bunch of black people or white people. He didn't put around him a bunch of Republicans or Democrats. He, got, he strategically put people around him that was different than him and were different than the other ones because he had a purpose. Jesus celebrated diversity even in the first century when he was building the initial 12 of his church. We looked at Andrew. We looked at Bartholomew. We looked at James, the son of Alphaeus, James, the son of Zebedee, James's brother John, we looked at Judas, we looked at Matthew, we looked at Peter, we looked at Philip. Last week, look, last week we looked at Simon the Zealot. How many Simons we got up in here? Yeah, we, yeah, I know we do. And today I want to talk to you about a guy named Thaddeus. Again, a, a disciple or an apostle named Thaddeus. Now, Thaddeus, unfortunately, is one of the apostles that you guys will hear about today, in many cases, probably for the first time, and maybe we'll never hear about him again. Unfortunately, Thaddeus is not a Peter, he's not a James, he's not a John. He wasn't a part of the inner circle. He wasn't the fourth called, he wasn't Andrew, he wasn't the brother of a famous guy. It was, it was Thaddeus. Th- Thaddeus doesn't have a big track record of all these amazing things that he was done, matter, did. Matter of fact, Thaddeus was the guy that most of us are saying, really, Thaddeus? I didn't even know that was an apostle. But we're going to talk about Thaddeus today, and I want to open up with Mark chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 14 through 18, and it says, Then he appointed 12, talking about Jesus, that, he might be, that they may be with him and that he might send them out to preach. And he gave them power to heal the sickness and to cast out demons. And these are the name of the twelve. There was Simon, whom he gave the name Peter. And then there was James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Sons of Thunder. If you don't know what that means, I challenge you to go back and listen to those two weeks. Maybe listen to the whole series. Then there was Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas. Then there was James, the son of Alphaeus. And then there was Thaddeus. Last week, we talked about Simon the Canaanite, or Simon the Zealot, and we talked about Judas, who was the traitor. Today, my focus is Thaddeus, and beside the name Thaddeus being listed among the 12 apostles in four different accounts, remember those four accounts we talked about, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, there are four accounts of these 12 apostles. And in these accounts, there are 12 apostles that are referenced every time, and Thaddeus is one of those 12. 
Besides these references of his name being listed in the account of the 12, there's only one other reference of Thaddeus. And this reference of Thaddeus can be found in John chapter 14. This is the only place we hear anything of Thaddeus. My personal opinion is that Thaddeus is the most difficult to do a biography on. Even more difficult than James the son of Alphaeus or Simon the zealot. The reason I say that is because we do not know anything about Thaddeus. With James the son of Alphaeus, we didn't know much either. We talked about he was on the scene very short-lived. There wasn't a whole lot about him. But there was a few things that we knew about James the son of Alphaeus. One thing we knew is he was called James the Less. Or James the Lesser. And we talked about that, talked about his stature, but it also talked about the importance in many ways or, or his position. He was lesser than James the Great, and James the Great was one of the inner three. We also knew that James, the son of Alphaeus, was the son, or his dad, was Alphaeus. We also know that James was the cousin of Jesus. When you look at Simon, Simon was another one that we don't know much about. But what we do know about Simon is that he was very passionate. He was called Simon the Zealot. We also knew that he was a party member of a political party called the Zealots in the first century. And it was his people that rebelled against the Roman Empire. But with Thaddeus, it's different. We do not know anything about Thaddeus. We don't know any of his relatives. We do not know what his vocation was, if he was a fisherman, if he was a tax collector, if he was a part of the political party called the Zealots. We don't know anything about Thaddeus. We don't know what kind of personality that he had. We don't know anything. The only thing that we know about Thaddeus is A, that he was referenced among the 12, B, that he had three names, and C, he asked Jesus a question. We cannot see from these three in particular references anything about where he came from, what his vocation was, or what his personal stance was on life, or what his personality was. We, we don't know. So I'm going to focus on what we do know about Thaddeus, the little that we have, and I'm going to hopefully help you better understand the 11th apostle, again, Thaddeus. So the first thing that I want you to know about Thaddeus is he had three names, now, this is important because the purpose of this is for me to help you read the accounts of the Gospels, to read the book of Acts, to read the epistles. And as you're reading them, they begin to come alive as you start connecting names, right? That's the goal. Y'all with me? How many of y'all have been reading the Gospels now and, and it's, make, it's like it's different because you can better understand what the people? Raise your hand. Yeah, that's the goal. It's really good when you read the Bible if you begin to understand culturally where they are. What's happening in that time? Who's ruling and reigning? Who's the book written to? Who, what's happening? What's the personality? What, who is he preaching to? What's the personality of the recipients of the sermons? So now when you read, the goal is, is you'll have an unlocked revelation knowing who the people are, hence having a better understanding of what Jesus was saying or what the Holy Spirit was pinning through these people that wrote the books. So what I want you to see about Thaddeus is he had three names. Now, this is important, all right? This is important. You're going to get this in a minute. I think somebody's going to laugh in a minute, but that's cool. You ain't supposed to laugh, but you can laugh anyway. 
The three names of Thaddeus are one, Thaddeus, B, Lebius, and three, Judas, and sometimes Jude. Judas and Jude are really one and the same. Jude would be the root word for Judas. And, and I say this to you because I want you, when you read in other places and see the name Jude, or you see the name Judas, or you see the name Lebius, that you know that we're still talking about Thaddeus. Okay, so here's what I want you to see. In Luke chapter 16, it says that his name is Judas or Jude. Also in Acts chapter 1 and 13, it says his name is Judas or Jude. In Matthew chapter 10 and 3, it calls him Lebius. And then in Mark 3 and 18, which we just read, it calls him Thaddeus. So what, what I want us to see for a moment is that Thaddeus actually had three names. Here's what we know about Thaddeus. Okay, here's what we know. Y'all with me? Okay, what we know is that Thaddeus is his last name. The Bible says his surname. If you read Matthew chapter 10, it says his apostle Labius, whose surname is Thaddeus. So we know that his surname or his last name was Thaddeus. What we also know is that Thaddeus, a.k.a. Jude or Judas, is not the Judas who betrayed Jesus. Because it references in Luke 6 and 16 the disciples name as Judas but then in parentheses it says not the betrayer so Jesus actually had two apostles that were by the same name Judas or Jude one was the betrayer and the other one wasn't what we also know is that he may have been the brother of Jesus we know that Jesus definitely had a brother named Jude and many people believe that Thaddeus, a.k.a. Lebius, a.k.a. Jude or Judas, is the brother of Jesus. But we can't say that definitively. There's lots of people who believe the book of Jude was written by Thaddeus, a.k.a. Jude or Lebius. Y'all with me? But we don't know that dis distinctively or definitively either. So what most people believe, though, is that, um, that the book of Jude, the author of Jude, is indeed Thaddeus, but I could not argue that and die for it because we don't know for sure. Here's what we do know about Thaddeus. He was black. Y'all wonder why? This is, this, this is Diverse City Church, right? I couldn't say this to some churches, but I can say this here. The reason we know he was black is because the Bible references him as Judas and Jude and Thaddeus and Labius, and only black folk got four names. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, you, look, how many white people y'all know with four names? Now, Simon Peter, he was white. If you're offended, this may not be the church for you. <laughs> I'm just being honest. Um, but so his name, we know Labius was, was his name, his first name. And we know that he was referenced as Jude and Judas. Many times uh, his name was Judas Thaddeus. So what I am believing his name was is most likely his name was Labius Jude Judas Thaddeus. Labius 
Thaddeus. Labius Judas Thaddeus. Thaddeus. How many of y'all think he was black? If you're white, don't raise your hand. All right, let's move on. I guarantee nobody heard that at church before. I guarantee it. Now, keep in mind, we don't really know he was black. Most likely, he was my color. Most likely, they were in the Middle East. But we don't know that for sure. But most likely, he was. We, we know he didn't have blonde hair and blue eyes like these white people want to make Jesus on these portraits. But that's another story. Don't get upset because most likely, he didn't have dreadlocks either. Okay, so now that we understand that Thaddeus had three names, we can go on to the second point, which is, this is a little bit more practical. The first point was just to throw in there, just to let you understand who he was, is Thaddeus left nothing behind for his namesake. Again, Thaddeus left nothing behind for his namesake. When you think about Paul, Paul left the mark with his theology. He wrote many wonderful books getting us to understand the doctrine of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, the trinity, who he was, what salvation is, grace and law, and how they are perfectly blended together, and how grace overshadows the law, and now we're in the covenant of grace, and the blood sacrifice. All of these wonderful things come from the great apostle Paul. The apostle Paul left a mark with us, and it's called his mark of theology. John left the mark with us, and it was his message of love. Peter left the mark with us, and it was his message of leadership. Andrew left a mark with us about his personal evangelism. But Thaddeus did not leave a mark. Let me me say it again. Thaddeus did not leave a mark. We do not know what he did or what impact that he had. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say it. All we know is that Thaddeus is known for being unknown. Let me say that again. Thaddeus is known for being unknown. We don't know a whole lot about him. I mean, he just kind of is called to be one of the apostles, but we don't know the great qualities that maybe he brought to the table. We don't know what influence he had. We don't know his vocation. We don't know his impact. We don't know anything. We know nothing about Thaddeus. The reality is, is Paul and Peter and Andrew and others, they made an impact. They made a legacy, and their name is still speaking on generations later. But when you look at Thaddeus, it's not. It's not. It's not making a name or a statement today. When you hear the name Paul, it makes a statement. When you hear the name Peter, it says something. Look at the name Peter. Look at the name Paul. Look at the name James and John. Why are these such popular names or Andrew? It's because the apostles were popular. They were powerful. They were anointed. And these names were names that people aspired to have and people they wanted to be. And they began to pass on these names. But Thaddeus, does anybody know somebody named Thaddeus? One, two, three. Right? Because Thaddeus is not a name like Peter, James, John. Right? Why? Because the reality is, is Peter's mark was so impactful. Paul's mark was so impactful that people wanted their children to be like them and they began to preserve and keep passing this name on. But Thaddeus didn't make a mark with his name. Thaddeus is known as the apostle that was called by Jesus, but never made a name for himself. Say that, I need to say that again to you. 
Thaddeus was an apostle that followed Jesus, was called by Jesus, but never made a name for himself. Thaddeus died with us wondering, why did Jesus even call him? When you think about Paul, you know why Jesus called him. When you think about Peter, you know why Jesus called him. When you think about James and John and Andrew and Philip, you know why Jesus called him. But when you look at Thaddeus, you start scratching your head and saying, why in the world did Jesus even call him? Thaddeus was a common person, like many of us. He loved God, he was called by God, but he wasn't remembered for anything specific that he did. Most of us can relate to Thaddeus. We're in this world, we're called by the Lord, we love him, but the reality is, is we may die and never be a Paul. We may never be a Peter, James, or John, or Andrew, or Philip, and Bartholomew. We may be someone that is following Christ, makes a small impact in our world, but we never have a name that follows us for generations. See, the reality is, is we all won't be Martin Luther King Jr.'s. Let me say this again because let me tell you something that our world tells us, that we're all entrepreneurs, we're all leaders, we're all going to be great. That's a lie. Yes, the Bible says that, that, that we are all going to walk in the richness and fulfillness of Christ. Yes, it talks about how we are all uh, fearfully and wonderfully made and created in his image and we're to lead and make an impact. But if we think that everyone's going to be an entrepreneur, who's going to work? Not everyone's called to be a Peter, Paul, or James. You got to have Thaddeus's. We won't all be Martin Luther King Jr.'s. We all won't be Barack Obama's. We won't all be Gandhi's. We all won't be Helen Keller's. We all won't be Abraham Lincoln's. We will not all be Billy Graham's. Most people will be Thaddeus's. They will follow Jesus. They will love God. But they may never be remembered for doing anything specific. Well, that's kind of depressing. Because I want to be remembered. Thaddeus didn't. He, wasn't, he didn't care about being remembered all long as Jesus got the glory. See, it is not about us having the biggest tombstone or leaving behind the greatest legacy or passing on some foundation in our name or building some great 501c3 with a huge endowment and investment fund and we keep doing great things all over the world even after we die and our name carries on for thousands of years. That's not why we do what we do. We do what we do to give glory to Jesus and Jesus alone. And for too long, we've been trying to follow in the steps of Peter. Peter and Paul, rather being thankful for being a Thaddeus. I'm just glad to be on the team, God. I may not have a legacy. I may not leave anything behind. My name better, may never get passed on, but God, I'm thankful that I'm on the team, and that's enough for me. See, somewhere along the line, we have begun to misunderstand our call as Christians. Our purpose is not to pass on a legacy. It's to pass on Jesus. We don't want people to be like us. We want them to be like him. We don't want them to emulate us. We want them to emulate him. The apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. See, Paul wasn't saying, I want you to follow me, because had they followed them, him, they would have become persecutors of the church just like Paul. 
Rather, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Because Paul essentially was saying, my legacy is not important. His is. His legacy is important. This is actually the real goal among Christian faith. To make it more about God than we do about ourselves. This is the goal. Our faith should point to who he is, not to who we are. Lots of people preach that Jesus died solely because we can be financially rich and stable and fulfill the American dream. Can I tell you that's a lie from the pits of hell? Jesus did not die for you to live in a big house in West County. Jesus did not die for you to be debt-free with your finances and, and to go off and have a great career and, and be financially stable and pass on millions. And don't get me wrong. I, I'm as tight as they get. I believe in investing. I believe in having money in the bank, and I have it, and I believe that I'm going to pass my children a whole lot. But don't get it twisted. My goal in life is not to pass things to my children. Jesus did not die that I could fulfill the American dream. He did not die that I could look good, have my hair done nice, or buy a house and be debt-free. That's not why Jesus died. Jesus did not die that I could be financially secure. He died that my soul could be saved. But can I tell you that where Jesus did not die for you to be financially rich, he did die for you to be rich. Y'all hear me? I know lots of people who are financially rich, but they're as poor as they can be. God died that you could have liberation, freedom, oneness with him, joy, peace, an overwhelming love and, and patience and self-control deep down inside of you. And you smile rather than looking over your shoulder. You think people are with you rather than against you. This is why Jesus died, to restore us back to himself, not to make us rich financially. By the grace of God, some people do get rich though. But not everyone will be rich and not everyone will be famous. Did you hear that? Not everyone will be rich and not everyone will be famous. Not everyone will see their greatest ambitions for corporate America fulfilled. We give our lives to God. Not because we want to be rich, not because we want to make an impact. We give our lives to God because we know that he is the creator. We are the creation and we simply want to submit to his rule and reign in our lives. That's why we submit to God. Not because of what we want, but because of who he is. This is why most people can't stay in church because they get in church, things don't go the way they wanted it to go, so they figure I can do better outside of church than I was doing in church, so then they leave church because they had better results outside the church. Because you're coming, many people are coming with the anticipation for everything to change. And when you don't get the American benefits, when you don't get the financial increase, 
when you don't get the husband you want, the wife you want, the freedom you want, the breakthrough you want, as quick as you want, you begin to second guess your faith and your walk with God and you say, I think I can do it better working 30 hours more and not coming on Sundays. And since you didn't get what you were looking for in the building, you decided to leave the building. And God doesn't give people who are serving him based off what they can get anything. He wants to know that you serve him because of who he is and not because of what he has. Thaddeus served the Lord, though he never became a Peter, Paul, Andrew, Bartholomew, James, or John. Thaddeus said, I'm going to serve Jesus because I love him. Just love him. When you learn to love the Lord from a place like Thaddeus, even when all hell breaks loose or your finances don't get better or you lose the job that you thought you were going to have, you still follow Jesus because it's not about the finances or the job. It's about the love that you have for the Lord. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, therefore, whether you eat, whether you drink, And whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Look, the reason we do this, we turn, you turn up, turn up. Turn up for God. You you want to wild out? Wild out for the Lord. You want to, you want to, you know, we got haters. I was just watching some videos the other day about Steph Curry haters. We got any Steph Curry haters in the building? You don't, you only can admit it. I know they're here. Look, this is DeJuan raising his hand in the back. I knew there was some. But look, I'm team light skin. So I, I got, I mean, I'm team short people. I mean, you know, he ain't that short, but he's a little short, you know. He's scrawny. I'm te- he's team scrawny. And he's just busting threes all day. And now the whole, it seems like the whole entire NBA is like one, two, they, they've, re- they've like rebranded the whole thing. It's like now dunks isn't number one threes is. Right? And everybody's like busting threes and all this. And why do I say this? I say this because I really like Steph Curry, but here's what I like even more, that he makes the game bigger than his threes. Whether you like it or not, the reality is, is if you want to know about the man's faith, he'll tell you because he takes the game of basketball and says, really, it's not about basketball. It's about giving God glory. But I'm going to bust a J and give you a shudder too. Oh, and, and, and I think this is it for me. It's like whatever you do, whether you eat, you drink, you play basketball, whatever you're doing, do it for the glory of God. How many people are playing basketball for their own glory? Right? You can do whatever you want to do. Have fun doing it, but just do it for the glory of God. And this is the hard part. Because what happens is, is the things we do, we enjoy doing, and we can do things we enjoy doing in the flesh or in the spirit. Right? Like the old time folks say, you can't do things that look like flesh and be in the spirit. So now we have legalistic people say, don't dance. Don't do this. Don't do that. Right? There's all these things you can't do. But can I tell you that there is the ability to be in tune with God and dance? You don't believe me? Ask David. Right? I mean, so, so it, it's not what we do. It's within the spirit or heart or context that we're doing it. Then you look at Colossians 3 and 17. It says, whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
He's saying, whatever you do, you, you can do whatever you want to do. Just make sure you're doing it in the name of the Lord. All right, so, so here's the thing I want us to see is, is Thaddeus asked a question. So I really can't give you no more backstory about Thaddeus. All right, I told you that he had three names. I, I told you after his, his three-name revelation, I, I told you that, that um, he didn't leave a legacy behind for his own namesake. But the thing that we see that he did is he asked a question. Thaddeus asked God a question. Look what it says in John chapter 14. I want y'all to read this with me. It says, a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, Jesus is saying. And then Judas, not Iscariot, we're talking about Thaddeus, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? So, so Thaddeus was asking Jesus a question. He said, How, can, now look, we cool. I know you're telling me that you're about to manifest yourself in us, but I'm confused. How are you going to manifest yourself in us, but not them? Y'all, y'all with me, right? The reason I pointed this out is because I need you to see that Jesus did not rebuke the question that Thaddeus asked. Some of you have been taught all your life that you never ask God questions. You don't question God. Can I tell you that Jesus called his father Abba, which is a very intimate and personal name, and if our God is intimate and personal and references us as children and him as father, and we as earthly people welcome questions from our children, how much more should we believe that God welcomes our questions to him? Somewhere along the line, someone got something a little messed up and thought that we could not ask God questions, and that could not be further from the truth. If it was true that asking questions to God was inappropriate and disrespectful, I believe that Jesus would have checked him and said, how dare you question me? Can I tell you that asking a question is okay? Jesus was questioned many times. He didn't rebuke the questions that people asked. What he rebuked is the intent that was within the question. Someone could ask a question of Jesus and have a pure heart behind it, and Jesus would simply ask, hear the question, and answer. But then there's other times when a question was asked and Jesus would rebuke them because he knew that it was a loaded question. He knew that woven in the question was was a sense of criticism and betrayal. And often you see in the Gospels that Jesus knew their intent. He knew their intent. He knew what was happening. He could discern what they were saying, what they were asking, and the spirit which they were asking. And when critical people came asking critical questions for a very manipulative purpose, Jesus would quickly rebuke them and put them in place. But when the disciples asked, 
When the prostitute asked, when the woman with the alabaster box asked, when people are asking from a good place and they just want real answers, Jesus welcomed them. If indeed questions were not good, I believe Jesus would have rebuked Judas, a.k.a. Thaddeus, at this moment. We can go on from here and we could leave the Gospels and we could go back to Genesis and see where Abraham asked God the same question six times in different ways. The Bible says the Lord was with Abraham. Abraham was with the Lord. And they were standing afar off of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of its sin. And and Abraham begins to ask a question. He says, hey, if there was 50 people that were righteous in that city, would you save it? He said, yes, I would save it for 50 people. He says, I need to ask you another question. Please don't be mad at me, Lord. He says, if there was 45 people in that city, would you save it? He says, I would save those people. Yes, I would. He says, I'm so sorry. If there was 40, would you save it? Yeah. The chapter goes on, and Abraham says, man, I feel like a real idiot, but I got to ask you, if there was 30, would you save it? Yes, I would. I'd save them. I mean, this is terrible. I'm so sorry, Lord. My my mic, I don't know what's going on. Uh, If there was 20 people, would you save it? He says, man, Lord, I'll just be honest with you. I just got to ask one more time. My whole life I've been told not to question you, and I've done questioned you five times. But I got to question you one more. If there was 10 people in that city, how important are people to you? See, because with us, it's a numbers game. But what Abraham was asking, is even small numbers important to you? And he says, yeah. If there was 10 people, it'd still be sufficient because I love the people that I created. And Abraham, after six times, I think he probably said to himself, I better just stop right here and not press my luck anymore. But never once did God rebuke him. I could take you to Jacob. Jacob crossed over to the other side of the body of water, and the Bible says that he wrestled with God. Y'all heard that story? Some say that it was an angel. Others says it was with the Lord. I believe he wrestled with God that night. However, the form took place, or whatever, whatever was an angel or however. God, Jacob wrestled with God, and at the end of them wrestling back and forth, Jacob looked over to him and says, God, what is your name? A question. I could tell you all through the Bible there are people who questioned God, not doubted God, asked him questions. Some of the biggest things that's keeping you from where God's trying to get you is you having a real transparent conversation with him. He doesn't want you to put on your Baptist face when you go into prayer. Now, I'm I'm not trying to make fun of nobody. But I'm just going to be honest with you. Some, some, some of y'all have been in, in church way too long. You've been in church so long, the only way you know how to pray is Baptist. Have y'all ever met somebody They like, you know, they talk one way, they just as hood as can be, and then they start praying and they like, Father. <laughs> I'd like to come to you today, God. Where in the world did G8 God? 
right? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Now, it's cool. You can pray like that, but just pray you, like you. If you're ghetto and hood, just pray ghetto and hood. If you country and redneck, just pray country and redneck. If you prim and proper, pray prim and proper. If you don't understand, tell them you don't understand. If it doesn't make sense, tell them it doesn't make sense. If you're struggling with sin, tell them you're struggling with sin. You don't need to get on your knees and say, oh, Lord, I bless you. I honor you. I give you glory. Oh, bless. Oh, hallelujah. In his gates with thanksgiving, in his courts with praise. Oh, be glad in them. Oh, holla, bless. Hey. But here you are on the inside. You're jacked up. You'd be better off saying, Lord, I really want to give you praise because the Bible says enter your gates with thanksgiving and your court with praise. But I'll be honest with you, God, there ain't nothing in me that wants to give you praise right now. I'm hurt. My mother died. I'm hurt. I don't know why I lost this job. I'm hurt. I'm angry. I know I shouldn't be angry with you, but I'm mad at you because I know you're sovereign and you could have stopped it. God, and, and we need, can I say we need to be transparent with the Lord? God doesn't like your Baptist prayers and your phony Pentecostal praise where you go off on a hoo hoot and a ha ha talking about how good he is. He wants you to be real. If you're going to complain and gossip to your sisters and your brothers and your friends, can I tell you you need to complain? and gossip to God and tell him what's on your heart and stop running your mouth to other people and start running your mouth to him and say, Lord, I'm upset right now. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm irritable. And I don't want to do anything related to serving you. Oh, but that's kind of harsh. But he knows it already, so why lie about it? I'll never forget when the Lord told me I needed to forgive someone and I didn't want to because they costed me two years of my life. And he says, Ray, I want you to forgive them. And I'm like, Lord, how in the world can I forgive them? I'll never forget another story a couple years later where someone got me for about $4,000 because I was trying to do something nice. And the Lord says, I want you to forgive them. I can tell you about another story where I brought someone in our house and we let them stay with us for a few weeks and then one day they came home and we thought that they would be there in the morning like they had been for weeks and when we woke up, half of our stuff was gone. Maybe not half, but enough to make an impact. I could keep going on and tell you stories about people that I sowed my entire life into trying to help them cultivate their marriage only to be lied to and backstabbed. And every time God says, forgive them. And can I tell you, my response every time was, I don't want to. I don't feel like it. I want to hate them. I want to fight them. I want to get ghetto on them. I want to let them know that I'm not the one to be messed with. And I want to at least get my point across and be the one that ends the conversation. And the Lord says, no, it's not forgiveness. I've got you. He would begin to show me things about the people who hurt me. He would begin to let me see, as I preached this many times before, in order for you to just to love someone in their negative fruit, you need to ask God to reveal to you their roots. Because once you know the roots of a person, you justify the fruit of a person. Because you know they've been hurt and molested and abused and taken advantage of, and then it's easy for them to hurt you because you know they're hurt. And God would begin to show me the roots of people. But the only reason that I was able to see the roots is because I was honest. And I say, God, I'm going I'm to be honest with you. I do not want to forgive them. I know that I need to, but I don't want to. I'm angry. 
I've got a child. I've got a wife. We just bought a new house. I had 4,000 bucks to my name and borrowed it to be nice, and it's gone. I'm angry. I'm angry. I'm angry that I've invested so much only to get betrayal and backstabbing in return. I'm angry. I do not want to forgive. And in my transparency, God somehow breaks through to my heart. Some of the reasons that you guys are still holding and harboring the same stupid things and it's been 10 and 20 and 30 years is because you're scared to be transparent with God. Tell him. Just tell him. Just, you just got to talk to him and tell him where you are because he already knows anyway. So don't cover it up and just praise God for his goodness and his excellence and his mercy and his grace. Just tell him where you are. Right? We, we got to just start telling the Lord where we are at. We just got to tell him where we're at. Here's where I am, Lord. Here, here's what's happening in my life, and, and I desperately need you to show up. I believe this is why the enemy made a very big statement in the church to not question God. Because if you don't question him, then you're not being transparent. And if you're not transparent, you can't get breakthrough. So we've been taught for years to fake it until we make it. But now we realize we still ain't make it, we still ain't made it, and we're still just faking it. I'm tired of faking it. Anybody else tired of faking it? You're just tired of putting a smile on your face and acting like this forgiveness is going to just go away, the unforgiveness is going to go away, the situation is going to fix itself, and the reality is it's not, and we need to be honest with God and say, I'm broken and only you can fix me. And here's the thing that we see after Thaddeus's question. Thaddeus got an answer. Okay, look at John chapter 4 and 22. It says, Judas, again, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us, but you're not going to do it to the world? You're not going to manifest yourself to the world. How is it that you will be seen that you will, will, will be glorified, that you will be produced, your character will come forth out of us, but not the world. And Jesus answered and said to him, he didn't rebuke him, he didn't criticize him, he simply taught him. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. This is a doctrine that is missing in the 21st century church. And I want you to see it. Here's, here's what I want you to know. You ready? You're going you're to take a deep, you're going you're to, somebody about to fall out your seat. God does not love us all the same. At first stand, like first, as soon as I said it, how many of y'all saying heresy? Raise your hand. Be honest. Raise your hand. Heresy. He, all, he loves us all. Heresy, right? Okay. It's okay. Okay, now look. All right, look here's, the, here's what you need to think about. John 3, 16. What's it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, right? So for God so loved what? The world. So who does God love? And we are a part of the world. So he loves us all, right? 
right? Y'all with me? Okay, I just want to make sure because some of y'all is about to check out and never come back to Diversity Church again. Just bear with me. If you read the 14th chapter of John, you'll begin to see what Jesus was really saying. Okay, so look. So, for God so loved the world. He loved the world. He loves all of us. Yes, he loves yellow people, purple people, tall people, skinny people, black people, white people. Yay. Yes, yes, I'm with you. Okay, he loves us all. We, we got that out the picture. But can I tell you that his love is deeper and more intimate with some than it is others? Okay, now let me explain it to you. Go back to the scripture again. It says, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself in us but not in them? I need you to get this. How, how is it possible that you are going to reveal, produce character and anointing in us but not them? We are a part of the world. John just wrote in the third chapter that God so loved the world, and if you love us all, why is it only some of us that are going to produce the goodness of God and not all of us? Right? You see what he's saying? He said, how is it that we're going to, you are going to pick and choose who to give and manifest yourself to? Y'all, y'all, y'all got that question, right? And and then Jesus answered and said, if anyone loves me, he keeps my word. How do you love God? By keeping his word, right? All right, I've been married for 13 years, and, and, and I know that the way that I produce showing my wife love is by doing what she asks me to do. Now, I don't always do a good job at it. I fail miserably often, but if I said, babe, what you want? And she's like, really, I, I'm in the mood for like a lobster roll and, and a, and a two-inch cut ribeye cooked medium on the grill. And I'm like, girl, I love you, but I'll be honest with you, we don't hamburger helper tonight. <laughs> and tuna. I, I got you. Surf and turf, hamburger and tuna. Now, I know that we can't always produce lobster rolls and ribeyes. But God forbid every time he's asking us for lobster rolls and ribeyes, we're producing hamburger helper and tuna. tuna. The way that I show my wife I love her is asking her what she wants and then I try to do it. If I say I love you, but then I do what I want and not what she wants, unfortunately my actions don't line up with my words. This is the struggle for me and for all of us as humans to actually do what we say. We say we love God, but we show him by being obedient. And Jesus, in response to the question, the question is, how is it that you are going to manifest yourself in us and not them? How are you going to produce the glory of God, the anointing of God, the character of God, the blessings of God in us and not them? Why is it you're having favoritism? I thought you were a God that doesn't show partiality. I thought you were a God that loves us all the same. But now you're telling me that you're going to show more grace and mercy and anointing to us than them? How is that so? And Jesus says, well, actually, it's quite easy. First of all, I love all of you the same. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, should have everlasting life. But that is a general love that I have for my entire creation. He says, but if anyone loves me, Y'all see that, right? If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. So let's take that out, that love me out. If anyone keeps my word, I will, he will prove that he loves me. Y- y'all got that, how I just flipped it around? 
And it says, and, and if you keep my word, if you're obedient, you prove that you love me. And once you prove that you love me because you're obedient to me, my father will love you. You see that? Now I'm confused because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But here it says that he who, him who keeps my word loves me and my father will love him. As if the love of the father is produced from obedience. Do you see that? How many of y'all is looking it up right now in another version because you don't believe me? Nobody? Ah, oh, dang it. There needs to be some students in here. Right? I was, but I put it down. I'm, you're going to check it out tonight, though. I know you will. Uh, so, so, so look, here's what's happening. Okay, I'm going to read this one more time. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And after you keep my word because you love me, and you show that you love me because you kept my word, my Father will love you. And we, talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will come to him, talking about the one who's being obedient, and make our home with him. So what Jesus is saying is your obedience produces the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit making residence in you. Y'all with me? So, 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 so what does that mean? So question, does God love us all? Yes. Yes. But here it's showing or revealing a deeper love. It's a more intimate love. You don't have to do anything to turn yourself to the Lord because it says by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works lest any man should boast. It's a free gift of God. Right? You can't work your way to salvation. You can't prove that you're worthy of it. None of us are worthy of it. But after you've experienced the free gift of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the salvation of God, now the ball is in your court. He throws it to you and says, if you dribble it, you stay obedient, and you keep doing what I want you to do, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But the ball's in your court. See, the world tells us, or the modern 21st century church tells us that you can live like a heathen and God will bless you just the same. But that's not what Thaddeus found out. Thaddeus was confused because his whole life he was told that God loved everybody the same. His whole life he was told that anyone could have and receive the anointing or the manifestation just the same. And Jesus says, hold on, hold on, let me fix that. I don't know who's been telling you that I'm going to anoint everybody the same, but that's a lie. The reality is, is I'm going to anoint those who love me, and I know who loves me is by who is obedient to me. And when I see people living for me in obedience, then I will manifest myself in them and bless them. The reality is disobedience keeps you from the manifestation of God. Oh, that's good stuff right there. You, you telling me all my shacking up has been keeping me from the anointing. Yes, now can you get to heaven? Heck yeah, you can get to heaven. Maybe, maybe. I don't know, maybe. I ain't the Lord. I'm going to let him call that. But what I can tell you is if you love the Lord, but you're not walking in obedience you will get in the way of the manifestation that God has for you. 
The holy blessedness of God cannot be manifested in wicked people. Mm -mm -mm, I'm talking to somebody right now. As I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. Because God cannot make himself manifested like we want until we decide to do what he wants first. So by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. It's a free gift of God. We were lost. It says that God demonstrated his own love towards us, that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. God showed up in the middle of your mess. Alcohol addiction, drug addiction, greed, working three jobs, four jobs, whatever you were doing. Whatever. It doesn't matter if it was blue-collar sin, well, white-collar sin, corporate sin, educational sin, uh, pookie sin, street sin. Sin is sin. And we was all in sin. But by the grace of God, he demonstrated his own love towards us in the midst of our sin. He died for us that now we've experienced the grace of God through faith in God and not by the works of ourselves. He loved us in our sin. He loved us like he loved Matthew while Matthew was still doing his secular dirty business at the tax collector's table. In the middle of our sin, he loves us. But once you encounter the love of God and you begin to be transformed in God and now you say, I'm signing up to live for God, you will determine how intimate your walk with God goes. You don't pursue him, he pursues you. He's been running after us his entire life, pursuing us because he loves us so much. And then finally we responded to the grace of God because of somebody dying, because of a, a near-death experience, because of a tragedy in our families. Whatever it is, by the grace of God, he pulled us back. And now we're saying, Lord, we love you. We want to live for you. But we get stuck in a rut. And we're in 15 years of Christianity, going to church, coming home, paying our tithes, going to the altar, volunteering here and we look like great people on the surface but on the inside we're ignorant we're callous we're hard-headed we're stubborn we're sinful we're lustful we're prideful we're arrogant we're angry angry we're frustrated we're so easily irritated by people it's more about money and positions and titles than it is about serving God and God is seeing right through all of that and we may look like everything is good but he sees through all of that. And he says, I cannot manifest myself in that. By grace you've been saved through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. It's a free gift of God. We are on our way to heavens because of a free gift of God that none of us deserve. But if you don't want to wait to heaven to get your gift, you can have it right now on earth. How do I get heaven's gifts on earth? How do I experience like they said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? How do I bind those things on earth and they're bound in heaven? How do I loose those things on earth and they're loose in heaven? How do I experience the manifestations of God in my life? It's actually quite easy. You need to start saying, no, I can't do it. We can't talk. I need to do something different. This isn't working because your flesh is in compete with your spirit and they never go together and you can only follow one and that's it 
So are you telling me that I have a part to play with what happens in my life? Yeah. But, but, but I thought that it was a free gift and God does it all. He does do it all. But don't you believe the lies. He does it all, but then he puts the ball back in your court. He says, you want me to be manifested in you? Yeah, Lord. I want a breakthrough. I want revival. I, I want to beat this, Lord. I, I, want, I want more. I, I want something. How do I do it? And he's like, it's actually easy. Just start saying no. Start saying yes to some things that is a yes and say no to some stuff that's a no. Start being obedient to who I am and, and do the things that I've told you to do, and then you will begin to see myself manifested in you. So you're telling me, God, that really my destiny is partly in my own choices? Yeah. Well, I was just told you to sit back and pray. Just pray and leave it up to God. No, you don't just pray and leave it up to God. You pray, and as God begins to speak, you change, and, and you're going to wrestle, and it's hard. This is hard. I can preach this message and act like I've got it all figured out, but let me tell you what, I'm a mess, man. Galatians 5 and 16, it says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you kept reading, it says the spirit and the flesh are contrary one to the other. One wants one thing, the other wants the other thing. Here's the reality. If you follow the flesh, you won't get the manifestation of Jesus. If you follow the Spirit, you will get the manifestation of Jesus. We need to walk in the flesh. What does this mean? Or walk in the Spirit. What, what does this mean? Walking in the Spirit. Think of this word walk. What, if you, I don't know how many of y'all got an Apple Watch or, or, or a Fitbit or, or some sort of step counter thingy on your wrist or your phone or what have you, right? But, but, but I never realized how much I walked until I got the Apple Watch. It is amazing how many steps you take. How many of y'all got some sort of watch device to count your steps? We're, how many of y'all were shocked when you seen how many steps you take? It's amazing. Like 15,000 steps. All I did was work in the office, and I walked 4.5 miles, 8 miles, 30,000 steps, right? All these steps were taking. Why is that? Because you walk more than you do anything else. You walk more than you run. You walk more than you sleep. You walk more than you eat. You walk more than you sprint. You walk more than you jog. Walking is a part of everything we do. That's why the Apostle Paul says, walk in the Spirit. He says, I don't want you to be so excited and on fire that you run in the Spirit. Because if you run, you're going to end up passing out because you were excited on the front end, but you didn't have stamina to keep going. I don't need you to be a superhero Christian in three months. Just walk. Oh, but I was told I got a basket in the Holy Ghost. Where do you see that in the Bible? All he wants you to do is walk in the Spirit. When you go to work, in the Spirit. When you go to church, in the Spirit. When you go to play basketball, bust them threes in the Spirit. Whatever you do, just do it in it. Just walk in the Spirit. Just walk in the Spirit. Just walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Pastor, what are you saying? What I'm saying is if you want God to be manifested in your life, if I want God to be manifested in my life, I've got to start walking in the Spirit. I've got to walk in the Spirit. I can't walk in the flesh. If you're easily irritated and go off on people, that ain't Spirit, that's flesh. God can't bless that. Lust, pride, anger, greed, all that's flesh. If you find yourself being frustrated, lusting all the time, looking at stuff, whatever, all that's flesh. God can't bless that. God, God can't show up in that. 
But when you wake up and you say, God, I got to go into this, I'm going to the same, same place, dealing with the same people, doing the same ish, whatever, but, but God, I want to be with you today. Help me to be with you today. You know what you need to do? You need to have an accountability person. You need to have somebody that you can wake up and do prayer with early in the morning. Whatever it takes for you to get your head and heart in the right place that you're walking in the spirit. This is what we need to do. And when we say, God, today I'm going to walk in the spirit. I'm going to get negative words, but I'm going to receive them in the spirit. I'm going to be criticized, but I'm going to receive it in the spirit. Because when you receive it in the flesh, you get depressed. When you receive it in the flesh, you get defensive. When you receive it in the flesh, you want to go off on somebody. But when you receive it in the spirit, it ain't about you anyway. It's all about him. And you just say, bless you and keep on going. You can know if you're in the flesh or in the spirit based off of how you receive what people say to you. If you receive it about like it's about you, that's all flesh. But when you don't care, that's all spirit. Why do I say this? Because if we want to start manifesting the things of God in our life, we need to figure out a way to walk in the spirit and kill our flesh. I told someone in the last week, whatever you feed will grow. And whatever you starve will die. If you want your flesh to die, you have to start starving it. But man, I tell you what, the flesh is messed up. Feels good. Tastes good. It it, it releases endorphins and makes you feel important. And Right? I mean, y'all with me? I mean, we'd say sin don't, ain't good. And, well, look, sin is very good. No? Oh, y'all, this is a bunch of church people. Anybody over here that could be honest and say sin is nice, right? You don't have to be convinced to sin. Right? Nobody on that side either. You don't have to be convinced to sin, correct? But here's the reality to it. It comes with a cost, And the cost may not be you not getting to heaven. It could be you just don't see the breakthrough on earth. Your disobedience may be your children's bondage. Your obedience could be their breakthrough. See, we don't know what disobedience is doing behind the scenes. See, because all we can see is what it does with our eyes. But if we are believing and walking in the spirit, then we got to believe that spiritual things are manifesting even when we can't see them. But what we also need to believe that when we're doing things in the flesh, that things are also manifesting even though we may not see them. We may think that our kids being married and being in an abusive relationship is solely because they made a bad choice, but it may be because of what we've done in our previous life that now is being passed on to our children. Do you believe in generational bondage? Now, I'm sitting here preaching to you, but again, I'm preaching to myself because I am the first one to tell you that I know that I could do a better job at walking in the Spirit. I I know that there are some things in my life I need to starve. I know that there are some things in my life in the Spirit that I need to feed. Because whatever I feed will grow and whatever I starve will die. We need to start feeding our spirit and starving our flesh. And I want to close with this scripture. 
Been a little long today because I knew that this was a sermon that there wasn't a whole lot about Thaddeus. So I figured, you know what, I'm going to get them with the okie doke. They think it's going to be short. (laughs) Proverbs chapter 24 and 16. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets up or he rises again. But the wicked stumble into ruin. Okay, here's what I want you to see in closing. Some of you have been walking in the flesh for a while. Some of us have been walking in the flesh for a season. We've not been building up our spirits maybe the way we should. Things have gotten out of order. There's been a shift in priorities. And it's in these moments that you want to start beating yourself up. And I just want to remind you that a righteous man falls seven times, a righteous woman, a righteous person, but they get back up. If you have found yourself in a fallen state and you are not feeding your spirit, but you find yourself feeding the flesh, I just want to say to you, get back up. Just get back up. Look what it says. It says, but a wicked will stumble into ruin. See, here's what separates us from the world. Well, the first thing is we're no different than the world. We can criticize all we'd want and preach a bunch of church scriptures and talk about how holy we are, but you know what? That's that's fake. That's fake. Don't tell me that you don't rise up to put that middle finger out when somebody cuts you off on the highway. (laughs) Don't tell me that you haven't overeaten, right? We, I, went out, I went out with Robert on, uh, to eat the other day. We went to, um, to Cano's, boy, and I was tearing down up in that place. And that's the Brazilian steakhouse. And I said to, I said to Robert, I said, I need to stop now bef- before I become an overglutton. He said, what's an overglutton? Is that where you're a glutton and a, a glutton glutton? And I was like, yeah, because, you know, we all gluttons. We be eating too much. I said, but I don't want to be an overglutton. I had three plates, and I'm too full now. I'm going to stop because I don't want to do four or five or six. And, and I, I joke and, and, and said that, but the reality is, is here's what we do a lot of times. We, we try to push the mark as far as we can. And, and we can always point out someone else's sin but not see our own. The wages of sin is death. Disobedience leads to not manifesting the glory of God in your life. So if you've got a porn addiction... Drug addiction, alcohol addiction, you have a problem with authority, you're rebellious, you're angry, you don't like certain people of certain colors. If you by chance are prejudiced, racist, maybe you work 60 hours a week and can barely fit God in. Maybe you're not a good father, not a good mother. Maybe it's more about your image than it is about his glory. It could be your sexual orientation. It could be anything. And we are all in this together. All of them lead to death. They all stop us from manifesting the glory of God. But the world has taught us it's okay to overeat as long as you're not homosexual. People making bad faces. Homosexuality has been a taboo in the church forever, but most of the preachers I've ever met are 200 pounds overweight. So it gets quiet. Why, why is it 
that, that we, can, we can push one but not the other, right? We need to realize that gluttony doesn't honor God. Suicide doesn't honor God. Cutting yourself doesn't honor God. Lust doesn't honor God. Homosexuality doesn't honor God. Living in promiscuous relationships doesn't honor God. None of them honor God. Now, we can put some high and some low, but at the end of the day, they all do the same thing. They prohibit the move of God. You with me? And I say this to you because we need to reevaluate and say, what are these things in my life that I've kind of got levels to? This is real bad. Don't do this. This is kind of bad, but I can kind of do this. This isn't that bad, so I can really do this. But at the end of the day, all of them prohibit God from moving. So, so what am I doing? What am I doing is, is I'm going to look at my life and I'm going to say, what is it in my life that I've gotten comfortable with? What, what, what have I become stagnant in? What areas of my life are a little bit out of order and out of whack? And then what I'm going to do is not be, uh-oh, can you put that back up, Proverbs 24 and 16? I'm not going to be like the wicked one who stays in it. The very last verse, I'm not going to be the wicked one who stays in it because if I stay in it, I'm going to stumble into ruin. See, a lot of people think failure means one time like a day. Failure means it could be one season like a month. You could, be, you could have been starving your f- spirit, living in the flesh for the last six months of your life, and God is saying it's time to rise up. It's not six uh, months times times uh, 30 days in a month, 180 days that you failed, and it's too much. Too much. God's saying this is one time. You have been in a season of feeding your flesh for six months, and it is time for you to rise up over that. You either rise from it or you stay in it. If you stay in it, you're going to ruin your life. But if you rise up again and say, boy, I'm hurt, I'm embarrassed, I'm overwhelmed, I'm frustrated, I'm mad at myself, and and I just need something different, God is saying a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up again. The only thing that separates us from the world is that it hurts us when we sin. The struggle is real. I heard heard Greg, um, uh, what's that dude's name? um, John Gray. He said, don't be upset if you're struggling. He says, I praise God that you're struggling. He says, but because before you encountered Jesus, it wasn't a struggle. You sinned and didn't care. So this is to everybody that's struggling. I praise God that you're struggling. Because struggle means there's a conviction in you. Struggle means that you love the flesh, but you want to love God more. Struggle means that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and you hate what you're doing and you're trying to do better. Can I talk to you today? And say that God wants us to rise up and not stay where we are. So if that's you, can you say, Pastor, I want to rise up. I want to rise up, and I want you to rise with me right now. Wherever you are, just rise up. Say, I want to rise up. I want to, re- I want to rise beyond this. I want to rise beyond this. Father, I want to pray for every person that is standing up in this building saying they want to rise up. They want to be better. They they want to serve you. They want to honor you. Lord, help us to, to find out the things that are stopping us from encountering your glory. God, I'm praying that you will help us to become better people. When, when it comes to serving you and living for you. God, your word says that if we confess our sin, 
You're faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. And today we confess, Lord. We confess that our flesh has been calling the shots. We confess that our flesh has been winning the war. We confess that our priorities many times have gotten out of whack. And Lord, we're looking for you. We're hungry for you. We want to experience your glory. And Father, I pray an outpouring of your manifesting glory, your presence, your power to be in us. God, we need you. And we know that we can only experience you when we make ourselves welcome to the glory of God. And I pray over these next few days and weeks and months and moving on into our entire lives that we will constantly reevaluate who we are and where we are, that we'll do a self-examination, we'll look at our priorities, and we'll, we'll get back up. And Father, I pray that you will honor the people that get back up and that you will manifest yourself in us and that we will experience the glory of God. Lord, I'm praying church not as usual, not same old, same old, breakthrough, God, breakthrough, God, a new season, walking in the Spirit, breakthrough in Jesus' name. And we, the people of God, with a loud voice say, yes, Lord, do what you want. So let it be. God, have your way. Lord, do what you want. So let it be. God, have your way. In the name of Jesus, in the matchless name of Jesus, we give you glory. We give you honor. We exalt your holy name. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to sing a song. We exalt your holy name. Thank you for joining us, and we hope this message blessed you. 